You are listening to a message from Shorebreak Church's Gatherings by Travis Scott. You can get connected with more content at shorebreakchurch.com. And so, if you have iTunes, you can go to just type in Shorebreak Church in iTunes, and you can subscribe to the podcast. And, uh, and if you don't have a, an account, you should create one because it's amazing. And the iPhone 5 is out, and so if you just got that, you have another reason to get that dialed in with that. And then, of course... Um, you know, you can share that. You, all of our teachings are available online as well. So make sure you guys download that. And now that I said it was hot, now everyone's like fanning themselves. It's awesome. If I never said that, it probably never would have happened. No. And then um, one other thing too that we just want to let you know, you know, as we're growing and as we're a core church, we, uh, we actually are blessed by Calvary Kona, who lets us meet in here on Sunday nights. We're using a lot of their equipment. We're using their stage. And I just want to honor them and say thank you to Calvary. I mean, they, they've been a blessing to us. And so we obviously don't, don't plan on staying forever in here. Um, you know, we want to grow. We want to outgrow this place. We want to see more people meeting Jesus, having a relationship with Jesus. And so part of that is we are looking to acquire some of our own equipment. So... If you go to this church, and this is your church, um, we want to say thank you for your generosity and your support so far. And if God is putting an extra amount for you to give to support, we have a list needs launch page on our website. So go to shorebreakchurch.com, and even those listening online right now or those listening on the podcast later, um, you know, however you're listening, you can go to shorebreakchurch.com, click on the launch needs, see the itemized list, and you're like, hey, I want to help them get this or help them get that. And if you're new here, listen, I'm not talking to you. We're not a church that's about money at all. We're all about Jesus, and we don't even have a formal offering here. So just wanted to let you know that that is available. So if you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We are a church that loves Jesus, and because we love Jesus, we love his word, right? Jesus, God said that he esteems his word above his very name, and um, yeah, John 4 is where we're going to be, starting in verse 43 to the end of John chapter 4. Last week, we looked at how Jesus turned a city upside down. I mean, the city wanted nothing to do with God, and then the next day, they wanted everything to do with God. And he started it all with a Samaritan slut who became a saint of all people. And this slut, this Samaritan woman was like, she, I mean, had five husbands. She was shacking up with the dude uh, that, well, at least she was then. And then she met Jesus. She encountered Jesus at the well, and the rest is history. Because whenever you are in the presence of God, you have an encounter with Jesus, your life is never the same, is it? No. Because when you see God in his glory, you are ruined forever in an amazing way. And that's what happened with this Samaritan woman. She abandoned her past because she was changed. Because when you are with Jesus, when you spend time with Jesus, your desires are changed you're transformed. And her stomping grounds, known as Sikhar, many there came to meet Jesus. She led many people to Christ. And their belief wasn't in just signs and wonders. It's not like, hey, Jesus was doing a bunch of crazy, awesome miracles there. Their belief was in faith in Jesus, who is the Savior of the world. And if you have a Bible, look at verse 43 with me. John chapter 4, verse 43, after two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. If you're taking notes, we've called this message a real faith. We're going to examine what real faith looks like tonight through a man. And we're also going to examine what happens under the hood of faith. What runs faith. What keeps faith going. But before we do, let's have a word of prayer. Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you, Father and heaven. Your name is holy. 
We lift you up. We want you to be here. We need you to speak to us. But we also have to acknowledge that without you speaking to us, this is pointless. There is no point for us to be here unless we hear from your word. So I pray that, pray against the enemies and his attacks against our lives. I pray, Jesus, that you would shine your light here tonight. Just like that Samaritan woman who had an encounter with you. She couldn't recover from being in your presence. Jesus, I beg that your presence would be here. I beg that we would never recover from, as we open and expose your words because it is your word that brings life. It is your word that builds our faith. It is your word that convicts and it is your word that sustains us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I read an article this week that caught my attention. It was actually really interesting and I wanted to read part of it to you, partly because the title was this. Woman yelling, I'm Jack Sparrow, hijacks ferry. <laughs> I'm like, any article like that deserves to be read in, in my, for my attention. And according to the, the UK Telegraph, a British woman claiming to be Jack Sparrow her name is Allison Whalen from Devon, England, climbed into a double-decker ferry and smashed into, or, and then smashed into a number of vessels as it drifted away. But the best part is she was reported yelling, I'm Jack Sparrow, I'm a pirate, as she stole the boat. I mean, you gotta love this. I mean, I wish this was like on video, and it's not, but because I tried to find it on YouTube. Um, and then I lost like five hours of my life after that on YouTube. No, it's not true. Um, but she did this all while drinking a Lambrini and eating poisonous hallucinogens before crashing the boat into multiple other boats and ferries on the way. She's just like claiming, I'm Jack Sparrow. I'm a pirate. Now, as pathetic as that is, as that story is, that is just what is happening in a city that we just read in Galilee, which is Cana. They're like, we believe in Jesus. Jesus is our homeboy. We respect him. I taught him in elementary school, right? I gave him a wet willy after class. Like, I beat him up. I mean, we hang out with Jesus. He's one of our homeboys. We believe in him. We're claiming that we love him but you almost think that they are eating hallucinogens and drunk because fast forward three years later, the same people that are welcoming Jesus here in these verses are soon going to yell, crucify him when he is on trial with Pontius Pilate. Jesus, we're so happy to see you. Welcome. They probably had the welcome home banner. I mean, he was like the hero boy, the celebrity. Everyone was hearing about Jesus. His fame was spreading. And now all of a sudden, it's like three years later, crucify him. And Pilate's like, really crucify him? Okay, let's do this. How about I'll bring out this sick, perverted murderer named Barabbas. I'm gonna bring Barabbas out, okay? And here we have perfect Jesus, and then we have Barabbas, right? So, um, what, what, like, who do you guys want? Barabbas or Jesus? And they're like, we want Barabbas. And Pilate is like, what the heck? Are you kidding me? I mean, this is crucify him? See, Jesus left the place where he is accepted in Sychar and went right into the opposition where he wasn't accepted, where it seems outwardly he is, inwardly he isn't. Now, I know this is kind of confusing because even when I first read this too, I'm like, what's going on here, right? Like you look at verse 44, you know, he had, Jesus said there's no honor in his hometown. So what does he do? He goes into his hometown and he's welcomed. Like what the heck is going on here? Is the apostle John with it? I mean, what really is going on here? And taking these two truths and pressing them together to figure out what scripture is saying, I believe it's this. There is a kind of receiving, a type of faith, a type of believing in Jesus that isn't real. That's actually a fake. For those of you guys who are with us in our study, we read in John 2, verse 23 at Passover, Jesus is flipping over tables. He goes punk rock. He busts out the whip. And everyone's like, dude, this guy, Jesus is crazy. He has authority. 
What authority did he have this? And then he says, yeah, the authority from God, basically, who gave me the authority to do do this. And though they didn't understand, all the people marveled. And it says that they believed. But then an interesting thing happens. Though they believed, Jesus said that he didn't believe in them. Jesus didn't believe in those people. Why? I believe it's because he knew their hearts, Scripture tells us. They had that fake faith. This is not a faith that you want. You don't want a fake faith. See, these people were seeking something from Jesus, but they weren't seeking Jesus. So God, yeah, give me something. I want you because I want to have a happy life. I want to have a good marriage. I want to have this. But they weren't just seeking Jesus purely. See, the Sikhar's faith wasn't in just in signs and wonders, but verse 42 tells us that the very word of God they believed in. And Jesus was their savior. And those in Cana didn't have a saving faith. They believed in him, but it wasn't a saving faith. It wasn't the type of faith that Hebrews 11.1 talks about, which says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So if Hebrews, we just read, if that's the right kind of faith, it's this assurance, it's this conviction of believing in Jesus, then what does a fake faith, a perverted faith, a self-centered faith look like? Have you guys ever been stuck on a roller coaster before? Anyone ever like at the fair at all? Okay, one per- that's terrifying, right? It, I mean, for me it was, anyways. So, um, I'm at Knott's Berry Farm. It's this theme park in California. And, uh, and they have this ride, this roller coaster called Montezuma's Revenge. And um, I don't even know if the ride still exists. But basically, you climb into this ride, and it goes like zero to 60 or 70. And, I mean, a matter of like two, like a second or two. I mean, you just like, you fly. And then as you're accelerating really quick, you hit this loop. And then after the loop, you go... It's like almost straight up. And then as you're, once you hit the top, then you go backwards and you do it all over again and then the ride's done. And it's like amazing and we're having a good time. Like, yeah. And then as we're finishing the ride and we're coming down 50 yards away from the station where you get in and out of the roller coaster, like our, our, the ride comes to a screeching halt. And so we're like, all right, what's going on here? You know, like, I mean, and we're just sitting there for like a minute or two and you're strapped, like you're locked in. You can't get out. So I'm thinking, so, like, what's going on? And, uh, well, sure enough, someone gets on the intercom, and they said, hey, we have had some electrical malfunctions, and, uh, and you guys just want to hang tight, <laughs> like, as if we had a choice, you know, like, hang tight, yeah, sure, we'll hang tight, until they send some personnel out to come get us. Fortunately for us, though, being that we were just, like, 50 yards away from the station, they have this walkway that's attached to the railroad track you know, with like the railing. And so they get up and they're like walking out to come get us and they're letting us go. And it's pretty cool. I mean, that's what the walkway is there for. It's attached to the railroad track or to the, the, the coaster track that's all su- suspended in the air. But I mean, it's safe. And so we're all getting out and walking on this. And I'll never forget, there was this one woman who could not get out of her seat. She just would not get out of it. And the operators are kind of like arguing with her. They're like, hey, like, why don't you come out and she's like I can't get out are you kidding me I can't trust that sidewalk and the guys are like um the same thing you're sitting in this coaster this track is the same walkway they're all attached to the same structure like it's completely safe like you can put your trust in it it's the same thing like you could go on this roller coaster you can walk on this walkway just do it woman And she did not go. She literally just sat there and waited for like a half an hour until the ride was fixed. And she like coasted it. And I didn't wait to see what went down. I went on other rides. But she insisted to ride operators that it isn't safe to use the emergency exit way. See, even though she was on the same track, she had different trust. Same track, different trust. Okay? What's happening here between Sikar and now Cana, same Jesus, different faith. Same Jesus, different faith. It didn't make sense. It's like, there he is, just believe in him. Not the same faith, though. 
And this is not a faith that you want. It's misguided. It's self-centered. It has no substance. It's not a saving faith. It's not a faith that you can just climb out of your seat, go on the emergency walkway, and instead of going to hell, go to heaven. It's not that saving faith. Everyone has faith, though. You have to admit that. Everybody, even the atheists, put their faith that there is no God. Evolutionists put their faith in the theory, theory, not fact, theory of evolution. Everyone has faith. You have faith when you go to Redbox, right? And you pick your movie, you swipe your card. You have faith that the Redbox is going to give you the DVD that you ordered. You also have faith after keeping the DVD for five days, and now it's charged like $5, and you might as well have just, like, what? Why didn't I just buy it, you know? You have faith that when you go back to Redbox and you put the DVD in, that it's going to stop charging your card, right? And that you won't get a bill a year later for $365. You have faith. You have faith that when you pull up to Taco Bell, that when you place your order, that by the time you get to the window, you're not going to get shot, right? No, they're going to say, hey, here's your food. We need your money. I mean, that's, you have faith that you're okay there. Just like you have faith when you bust out that cell phone and you're having a conversation, the cell phone's like not going to explode in your hand, is it? I mean, we really are people of faith. We are constantly placing our faith in something, but most don't place it in Christ. Just like that woman couldn't trust the railroad track emergency exit way. That's what's going on with Cana and Galilee. Same Jesus, different welcome. Same Savior doesn't save them, or at least most of them. James 2.19 says, you believe in God, that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So yeah, oh yeah, I, I believe in God. I got this thing, right? Really? Yeah, the demons believe in God. I like what Eugene Peterson, how he translated this section of verses. And he said this, do I hear that you are professing to believe in the one and only authority of God? Then you observe, then you, observe you, you complacently by sitting back as though you've done something wonderful? Good for you. That's just great. Demons do that too. But what good is that for them? Use your heads. Do you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works into two separate categories and not end up with a corpse on your hands? These people are like, you know what? Give me, give me a Jesus experience. Come on, Jesus. Feed me. Be my needs. I want you. Give me a Jesus experience. Get the goosebumps and then leave. You can believe in Jesus' miracles, but not honor Jesus. Don't we do that often, though? We use and abuse Jesus rather than loving him. We want something from him rather than just wanting him. And that is exactly what is going on here. They wanted Jesus for the wrong reasons. Verse 45 says, the second half, the Galileans welcomed him having seen all that they had done in Jerusalem at the feast. It's a sight thing. It's like they saw the miracles. They wanted the miracles for themselves. The last time Jesus did a miracle in Cana and Galilee, what did he do? Turn water into wine. And then, of course, he, you know, he, they see him do all these crazy things in the temple. So they're like, man, Jesus, he's coming back. Our boy Jesus is coming back. He's going to do something for us. Maybe he's going to make us rich. Maybe he's going to make us prosperous. Yeah, we're ready for Jesus to come back. Come on, Jesus, you know. It's like they're genie in a bottle. Rub him the right way. He's going to give you what you want, right? And that's often how we can treat Jesus. But we have to pull back for a second and look at these verses and ask the question. And it seems... As though when John is penning these verses, he's almost intentionally setting us up to compare Sikhar versus Cana. Sikhar, a, a, a real faith. Cana, not a real faith. And we've all seen that shallow faith that's based upon sight. But faith is more than wanting something from Jesus. It's loving Jesus. 
So John is like, okay, you've seen what faith shouldn't look like? Let me show you what real faith does look like through this story. Verse 46, so he came to Cana in Galilee where he had made water, the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. And when this man had heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to ask him, he went and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Wow. That's pretty like sensitive, right? Jesus. Like Jesus doesn't have much of a sentiment going on here, does he? Jesus isn't really that like sweet to him. This guy's kid is dying. In fact, Jesus is completely the opposite. He is rude and offensive almost. I mean, Jesus' PR is absolutely horrible. It's like, well, can't some of the disciples say, hey, Jesus, pull you aside. Can't you be a little more sensitive? Let's work on the sensitivity thing, Jesus, for crying out loud, right? I mean, he is like worse than Mr. Deeds trying to write a car to Hallmark. I mean, that guy, it's like, he just doesn't get it. And you see, like, Mr. Deeds writing these things, sending him into Hallmark. It's like, those are the worst ever. And it's like, like that, honestly, it's like, Jesus, are you, like, taking notes from Mr. Deeds here? Like, what is going on? I mean, you, for you to look at this father, Jesus, whose son is dying, and you make eye contact him with his tear-filled eyes, and he is begging, Jesus, I've come 15 miles. My son is on his deathbed. Please, can you save him? And Jesus is like, you just want to sign like everyone else? You just want something from me? It's like, wow. <laughs> it's not exactly kosher. Verse 49, the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Dad's like, I just want my boy to be healed, Jesus. I just, I want him to have life. Please. The text suggests that he is begging Jesus. He is begging Jesus, begging Jesus, save my son, please save my son. I know you can, you're God. I've heard of all the miracles you've done. And yes, Jesus looking at him with all of these people around, Jesus is being blunt here and rattling him to his bones. And Jesus will often unapologetically rattle us to our bones. Doesn't he do that sometimes? He'll strip everything away. He'll take everything that you put your security in so that you would trust in him, so that you would be desperate for him. Because a lot of us are okay. I trust in the idea of Jesus but many of us do not trust as the idea of Jesus being Lord over our life. And we are told here that this father is a, we are told that he is an official. If you're taking notes, that means he is the assistant to the assistant. No, just kidding, not really. Office reference there. He is the king's assistant in that region. He is literally the assistant regional manager. He has the position of being assistant to what king? Who does he work for? Well, who's king over this area? Herod. This guy works for Herod, the perverted guy who steals his brother's wife, the perverted guy who has his daughter do a, a dance for him, a strip, a strip tease for him. Herod, who will kill Jesus, or Herod, who will kill John the Baptist and have his, ha- have his head served on a silver platter. That's who this official worked for. He worked for Herod. And this guy meant this, he had prominence, he had power, and he had prestige. And he had pride, even, too, in this position. But you know what he does? He sets all of that aside. It didn't matter if he worked for Herod or anymore. He set it all aside for Jesus' sake so that his son would be healed. He had reckless faith. Because the faith that Jesus calls to is not a safe faith. It's not a comfortable faith. It's not a complacent faith. 
Your eternal security is safe, yes, but there's nothing comfortable about dying to yourself, picking up your cross daily and following Jesus. Is that safe? Is that comfortable? That is absolutely reckless and also amazing at the same time. See, faith is willing to risk it all for a savior who risked everything for us. Jesus isn't demanding something from us that he hasn't already done for himself. And this child had a life-threatening fever. And notice this, dad cared more about his paycheck, about his retirement plan, about his fantasy football team. And he was willing to push all of those things aside to take care of his kid. And this boy could have been 15 miles away, which he was 15 miles away. Or he could have been 15 million miles away. Jesus, through creation, being Lord over everything, speaks from his mouth 15 miles away and miraculously heals this dying child. See, Jesus is much closer than you think, even if you don't feel his presence in your life. Even if you don't see him over your situation. He is there. Spurgeon said, we can't trace God's hand. We must trust God's heart. You can't see what Jesus is doing. Trust him anyways. Psalm 139 says this, verse seven through 12, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed into Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall uphold me. We must fight the lie that God is more, pre- is more absent in our life than present. Fight that lie. Jesus is with you. If you are a Christian, he is everywhere and he is yours. And even if you're not a Christian, guess what? He's everywhere anyways. <laughs> it's all his. And isn't this crazy? Like Jesus doesn't fit in your little to-go box. You know, you go to the restaurant, can eat all your food. Like, oh my gosh, I've had so much food. And you're like, can I have a to-go box? And they bring you like the tiny to-go box and you have like a huge plate of food and you're like trying to shove everything in there, you know? Yet you can't shove Jesus in a to-go box. You can never indulge in everything of Jesus because he is completely outside of it and so much bigger than these things. Verse 50, Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. (laughs) Pretty awesome, right? Boom, healed. Did the father see his son being healed? No. He's 15 miles away. But Jesus said, go. He raises no objections to Jesus. And I believe at this moment, for him to believe that when Jesus says go, I believe that this is the start of the saving faith that Jesus is opening his eyes to. Because what did he not say? He wasn't begging Jesus, Jesus, I need to know that everything is going to be okay. I need to feel your presence. Jesus, I need to see your hand touching my son. I need to know that you're with me. But Jesus says, go. And the father's like, okay, all right, I'll go. Think about this. If your son was on his deathbed or your child or your best friend or someone you love is on their deathbed, and you go to the doctors and the doctor's like, yeah, well, let's go home. It'll be all good. Yeah, but they're cancer. It's it's cancer. It's terminal. Like, can't you just come and work on him? I need you there. You're the physician. Like, come on. It's like, no, just go. It's going to be better. And they're going to die at any moment. They're in their dying breaths. It's like, really? I think this guy, for him to, was, to be okay with that, for his own child, his own life is at stake, he believes Jesus. And I believe that this man contrasts 
the rest of those people there who were there for signs and wonders. This man stood out from the others because he was persistent and we are told that he believed in Jesus. He believed in what he did not see, but he ended up seeing what he believed in. Say that one more time. He believed in what he did not see, but he ended up seeing what he believed in. It came to pass. It happened. And that's what Hebrews 11 tells us. See, you guys, faith is, just, is more than just a thing, okay? Faith has substance. Faith is more than just an idea. Faith is your identity. It is rooted in who you are and your purpose of li- in life. And when we have faith in Jesus, something miraculous takes place. Something that is happening under the hood. When you place your faith, when you place your trust in Jesus, the Bible tells us that we are justified. We are justified. Justification is so important because justification means this. It means that our position before God is righteous. When we put our faith in Jesus, our position in Jesus is at that point justified. We can trust in him that we are right before God. And one thing to note about justification, and it's this, that it is given by grace alone, through faith alone, in God alone. You cannot justify yourself. You cannot make yourself right before God on your own. And you're like, yeah, I've heard this before. Yeah, you've heard it before. But do you honestly believe it in your heart? Do you? This is vitally important. See, you are justified not through the life that you live, okay? It's not anything you do that you are justified by God. It's everything that Jesus has already done for you. And what that's called is imputation. Jesus gives his righteousness at that point to us and we are justified by faith in him alone. We are given life from the life that is in Jesus. This is so important in scripture and listen to me Christian, even non-Christian for you to understand this. We need to get this, not just up here, but to believe it in our hearts. I say that because I struggle with that at times as well. Martin Luther said this about justification. This one and firm rock, which we call the doctrine of justification, is the chief article of the whole Christian doctrine, which comprehends the understanding of all godliness. Listen, Faith in Jesus and being justified in him. Get this. Wrap your mind around it. Let the Holy Spirit speak this truth to you. You are justified not by your own life, but by the life of Jesus Christ. You are justified by his perfect life. You are justified by his death. You are justified by his resurrection. And with all the love that God had for his son Jesus is then now transferred to you and given to you. You guys, this is amazing. This is nothing that we do. We, are, we don't justify ourselves. And some of you are like, well, if you don't justify yourself, then you're just going to abuse it. No, you're not. Because if you legitimately love Jesus, you aren't going to abuse Jesus. You are going to bask in his presence and in his grace. Now listen. We screw up still, no doubt. But that's not justification. That falls under something completely separate, though tied together, still separate, called sanctification. Sanctification. See, faith trusts in what Jesus did and in what Jesus will do. Faith does not trust in your own ability. I've literally heard Christians say, yeah, pretty good person. I got faith in myself. It's like, are you kidding me? (laughs) 
That's not a, that's crazy. Faith does not trust in your own abilities to save you from your sin. Galatians 2.6 says this, for, to tie you know, faith and justification together, it says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. How? Faith in Jesus Christ. We are justified. So we have also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Listen, being a good person does not get you into heaven. Being a good person does not change God's justification and view of you. Being spiritual does not justify you. Attempting to be holy on your own strength does not justify you. Attempting to deal with your own sin on your own strength does not justify you. Having faith in faith does not justify you. You guys, please understand this. Faith in Jesus makes us justified by Jesus, okay? That is so important. And out of that, we can know that works does not give to faith. Faith does give to works. And this God that we read about here, as we will soon read, had a faith that worked. This week, you guys watch, listen to the news, watch the news, follow it on Twitter at all. I don't know if you heard the story. Um, It's about a man who jumped out of a monorail 17 feet high at a uh, Bronx Zoo in New York. Um, Like just totally jumped out of it, just went for it. His name is David Villalobos. He's age 25 and he did it. The reason why he did it, this is the news, like national news. He did it so that he could become one with the tiger. (laughs) I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? Like that puts a whole new meaning to the survivor song, I and the Tiger, right? Just saying, none of you young guys got that at all. It's all good. Can, we'll teach you good music later, okay? No. Um, but he, he said he did it to become one with the tiger. And David said in this article that he managed to pet the tiger before, like he goes up to the tiger, starts to pet the tiger, caress the tiger, before the tiger grabs him in the leg, drags him away, and starts to chomp on his legs, his arms, his shoulders, his back, and his chest. And before he is killed, zoo officials run out to save his life. And on his Facebook, asking why he did it, he replied, I did it all for Mother Earth. Wow, right? It's like, that isn't crazy, right? Like, who would be so stupid to do that? Who would ever think to do that? What the heck is he doing? He's doing this in the sake of Mother Earth? You know, other religions require some sort of self-inflictment or some sort of punishment upon yourself for your mistakes and sin. Don't they? What other faith And the world is like Christianity or it's like, it's grace. You don't earn it, you receive it. You believe it, you have it, it's faith. You don't have to inflict yourself. And we know because within the deep fabric of our own lives, we need to deal with our sin. And then we can look at David and be like, dude, that guy is completely crazy. He did it in the name of Mother Earth to be redeemed by God. And though most of us won't be jumping out of a monorail 17 feet high, and breaking our legs, and then being eaten almost by a tiger, like though most of us won't do that, many of us will self-inflict ourselves to be forgiven by sin. Have you done that before? Have you self-inflicted yourself because of the sin in your life? I have. Like honestly, I, I, I would sin, and I still do it, and when I sin, I will like, not go in the word for a whole day because I don't feel like I'm worthy to be in the word. And then not only that, what I'll try to do is like deny myself something. Like I'm just gonna deny myself of any of the pleasures that I want from the rest of the day. And then I'm going to inflict all these other things upon me so that I can deal with my sin. Honestly, 
That's pride. Self-inflicting of sin is pride because you are spitting at the work of the cross. Jesus is like, why are you doing this to yourself? It's, I finished the work on the cross. Didn't you know that when I was bearing all of your sins and I was bleeding myself out for you, what, what, what were some of the words that I said? It is finished. You don't need to inflict yourself. Jesus was inflicted for you. You guys, you're forgiven. You have grace in Jesus. You are forgiven by Jesus. For those who have faith in him, stop inflicting yourself. Accept Jesus' forgiveness for your life. And when we die, we can stand before God in heaven at judgment day. And when we're there standing before God and God's like, all right, well, you know, why do you think you can get into heaven? Because only perfect people get into heaven. And we can stand before God and say, God, your son Jesus bought me with his blood and he justified me and made me right. That's how I can get into heaven. God will say, welcome. I love you, my child. We are forgiven, Christians. You are forgiven, not just for your past sin, but for your present sin that maybe you need to repent of now and even for your future sin. Stop inflicting yourself. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, still going on this thing of justification and faith, says this, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me read that one more time so you get that. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Who is ours? Well, who wrote Peter? First and second Peter. Peter Ours? Equal standing with faith of ours? Wait, wait, wait. Are you kidding me? Peter, like Peter, who wrote books of the Bible. Like Peter, who walked on water. Like Peter, who preached a stinking sermon and 3,000 people gave their life to Christ. Like Peter, who is the authoritative spiritual leader of the early church. Peter, who hung out with Jesus. Peter, when he died, would not be crucified right side up, but upside down because he found it not worthy to be crucified in the same position as Christ. We can have equal faith with Peter? That's blasphemy. No way. Really? St. Peter? We, we, no. Look at this. Second Peter 1, 2. For those who have obtained faith of equal standing with ours. You guys, We have the righteousness and faith and love of God that God had for Peter and for Jesus. Isn't that mind-blowing? It's like you are forgiven. You have the, the, the same equal faith that has been given to you by God. And so according to these verses, you are as righteous as Peter. Do you believe that though? Do you? I don't sometimes. Me? Like, like, Peter, are you Jesus? What? No, I'm not equal. God, no, no way. No, uh-uh. Second Peter 1, 2 would say differently. Believe it, you guys. You are justified. You are washed clean. Have faith in it. In Jesus, you are justified. You guys... Get this, God cannot love you anymore because he loves you with all the love that he has for you already. You guys know that there's not, you can't suck another drop of of love from God because he already loves you with all all the love that he has for you. All of the blessings are available to you in Christ Jesus. He can't love you anymore. Isn't that what Romans 5, 8 says? For God demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
You are approved by God if you have faith in Jesus Christ. You don't have to find your approval in the way that you look. You don't have to be anorexic anymore. You don't have to worry about your own identity because your identity is in the faith of who Jesus is and the work and the justification that he has done for you. And you might be wondering, man, why are we spending so much time on this? How couldn't we? Listen, if if you really believe this and I really believe this, this will change our lives forever. Knowing that we are Jesus's and we are accepted and approved by him. You guys, I'm gonna take, when you sin, does God love you any less? No. When you're good, does God love you any more? No. When you screw up and you want nothing to do with God, does God give up on you? No. You are justified. Just so you know, justification is mentioned over 200 times in the New Testament. That's another reason why we're spending so much time on this. And don't just hear it. You believe it and you preach this truth to yourself daily. Don't let your feelings determine your faith. Let your faith determine your feelings and you steer your life and you preach this truth to yourself daily. Hope you guys are encouraged and blessed by that. It's freeing. It's so liberating, isn't it? It's like, wow, man. Wow, God, you love me. You love me. I don't have to do anything more for you to love me. This is, like all of your love is for what? This is crazy. It's amazing. Even more, though, than this boy being healed, the greatest miracle is when a lost soul is reconciled to God. Like, you think, oh, yeah, there's, that's a great miracle, right? This boy met Jesus. I mean, this, this boy was healed by Jesus. The greatest miracle is when a lost soul is reconciled to God. Listen, you Christian, you are a miracle of God's grace. You are a miracle of God's grace. You are justified by him. You are approved by him. We don't have to turn to anywhere else. You have everything that you need in Jesus. And you're gonna have to fight this, okay? You're gonna have to fight letting your sanctification, which is not your righteous stance before God, that's justification. Sanctification is you growing in the righteousness of God. Don't let that, don't let performance, don't let sanctification ooze its way over into justification, which so many Christians do. Jesus doesn't turn this man down and he won't turn you down. He believed in what he did not see, but he ended up seeing what he believed in. He didn't have to see the miracle, did he? He didn't see the miracle. He believed in the word of Jesus. Verse 51, here in closing. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. This was now the second sign that Jesus did. I love that. What was the second sign that Jesus did? That all in his household believed. (laughs) This is the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. What a happy ending, right? His dad risks it all and his life is changed. Think about this. He went to have his son's life spared. His son gets saved. The dad gets saved. The whole family believes in Jesus and is going to heaven when they die. Is that not grace upon grace? Is that not a beautiful picture of God's love? Notice this. Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding. His second miracle, we're told here, is in death. First miracle at a party at celebration. A second miracle is in, was in sadness. All this to say, you guys, you can count that Jesus will be with you through any trial 
and through any blessing in life, okay? You are justified, you are his, and you can believe in him. Believe in him. Have faith in him. Hold fast to the promises of him and proclaim these truths of justification. Preach them to your life daily. And I would say this, man, if you're a Christian, you guys, get this because you get justification and the work that Christ has done for you. Man, you are going to avoid so much infliction upon your own life. And so I wanna encourage you and push you from here on out, you guys, you guys be in the word and you be looking up those 200 plus other passages that talk about justification. But we also mentioned this. Jesus didn't turn this guy down, did he? He didn't have a relationship with him. But Jesus did a work in giving him faith. So let me ask you now, do you believe in Jesus? You're, we're all gonna stand before God one day. You are going to stand before God one day and you will be alone. No family or friends will be with you, not your spouse. You are going to stand before God one day between you and him and you are going to tremble on your knees and you will fear him. You will fear God. And when God asks you, looking into your eyes with with those eyes of thunder, he's like, all right, here we are. It's judgment. How are you getting into heaven? Can you know for sure that you can say that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior? Respond to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life right now. If you don't know Jesus, say, you know what, Jesus, I want you. I believe in you. And I put my faith and my trust in you. I want to know that I can be saved from myself and from my sin. And then I can go to heaven when my life is over. Let's pray. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord, and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus and answer any questions. If you'd like to support the gospel going out through Shorebreak, you can click the Give button at shorebreakchurch.com. You can give a one-time gift, a recurring gift, or whatever God puts on your heart. Mahalo.